0: RPN The Roddenberry Podcast Network This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Raycon. Take 15% off your entire order at buyraycon.com/missionlog.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and the brand new The Orville Official Ships Collection. The first ships in the collection, including the Orville itself, are available now at hero slash orville Use code MISSION10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase with free shipping.
2: Mission Log A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 384, in the cards.
0: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we spare no expense to
1: make sure that you get the most mint condition podcast that covers each and
0: every episode of Star Trek. This week, it's in the cards. No, that's not a figure of speech. The title really is called In the Cards, the one where Jake and Nog pair up to do what they do best, uh, well, uh, look, at least our intentions are good. You now, I'm very excited about this episode, John. So excited, in
1: fact, that I'd like to start this podcast off with a bid of one bar of gold-pressed platinum. But just to expiate things, I'm going to go all the way to 10 bars so I can tell everyone how to reach us. Oh, it's too rich for my blood. I'll sit this out. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Your reviews at Apple Podcasts help other people find the show, and we do appreciate it. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your
0: comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, trivia is going to be in the cards for us in a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends at Eagle Moss and the Orville Starships Collection.
1: That's right. The Orville, your ears didn't fool you. We are talking about the Orville Official Ships Collection by Eagle Moss. Now, these ships, if you haven't seen them yet, I really hope you get a chance to soon because they're gorgeous. They're developed in partnership with and based on Seth MacFarlane's hit science fiction comedy drama the ships of the brand new the Orville Official Ships Collection are available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. Now, the first ships in the collection, the Planetary Union ship, the USS Orville, the ECV-197, and its shuttle, the ECV-1971, are available right now directly from the Eagle Moss shop for only $29.95 each with free shipping. There's even an oversized, incredibly gorgeous, <laughs> XL edition of the Orville available for only seventy four ninety five. Now, no matter what you order, use code MISSION10 at checkout to get 10% off your entire purchase. All
0: right, now, you know how this works. You, you know how Eagle Moss does their job. They work with the creators of these ships, of these models, and they do a careful study of all the production materials. So whether it's, you know, photos or CG models, they work with those original materials so they can bring you incredibly highly detailed ships made of die cast metal, high quality ABS. And I think what is the most important part? They are hand painted to make sure that that accuracy is just dead on. Each ship also comes with a display base plus a collector's magazine filled with concept art interviews and behind the scenes details of the Orville TV series. Additional ships are slated to join the collection soon, but look, these are the ones you want to get right now while you can. So
1: full details, including comprehensive views of each ship and ordering information can be found at herocollector.com slash Orville. Use code MISSION10 at checkout to get 10% off your entire purchase. Now, one of the things, John, that kind of dismayed me is that I didn't, uh, I was outbid. I was outbid oh. on oh, an no. auction. Yes. Oh. And that makes me very sad, but it makes me also very happy because our audience outbid mm-hmm. me, and what did they win? They win this week's trivia with you, John.
0: Oh, oh! As- I, I, I'm so flattered. I thank you to the audience who outbid Norman for that. So look, just for that, here you go. Trivia for In the Cards. We have a story here by Truly Bar Clark and Scott Neal. Brand new names on the credits. Truly was a production intern on DS9 at one point, and she teamed up with Scott Neal to pitch this story. For both of them, though, this is their only professional writing credit. So putting this story together really fell to Ronald D. Moore, who gets the teleplay credit. Uh, It was his inspiration to have a little fun, do what amounts to a bottle show with a focus, where the usual B story would become the A story, he also took the opportunity to slip in some jokes like uh, referencing The Wizard of Oz and maybe some of his own dialogue that he wrote for Captain Picard. And the episode was directed by Michael Dorn. It's always fun to see our Star Trek actors taking advantage of the opportunity to spread out their talents a bit and uh, go through that informal director's program. This time, it's Michael Dorn's turn This episode is the first of three DS9 directorial jobs for him, and he will also end up directing one episode of Enterprise in the following years. Uh, Let's see, we have a callback to the USS Tiananmen first mentioned in TNG and, uh, of course, named for all those who died in protest at Tiananmen Square in 1989. There's also a lot of business here about a 1951 Willie Mays rookie baseball card, which definitely is a valuable card if you've got one laying around. Right now, they range from uh, anywhere from about 4000 up to ten or $12,000, depending on where you look, but that's nowhere near the most valuable baseball card and not even the most valuable Willie Mays card. For that, you would need to find the 1952 card put out by Tops, The package that went unsold for that, uh, well, those were all destroyed, thus raising the value of that card to currently over a half a million dollars. And for the most valuable card, though, you would need to look for something quite a bit newer, a 2009-issued card featuring MLB All-Star and Los Angeles Angels Center fielder Mike Trout, recently sold for nearly four million dollars now on to our guest stars this week so many returning faces louise fletcher drops by as kai win and welcome back to jeffrey combs and his guys as wayoon a wayoon one of the wayoons Naga's back so is lita and our new face this week is dr elias geiger played by brian markinson now Brian if you have seen almost any TV since 1990 you've probably seen him in a number of shows. He has racked up so many recurring roles shows like Caprica, The Magicians, Dark Angel and Millennium. He had a very memorable turn on several episodes of Mad Men as the husband of uh, one of Don Draper's mistresses. Not no not not that one. Not no not not that one or that that one. That one. And um, he was Inspector Dillon on Continuum. He's even been in a number of feature films. Uh, He shows up in Apollo 13 and The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. We have seen him once before on Next Gen in the episode Homeward. And he will be around for more track with a number of appearances on Voyager, including a double appearance in a single episode. We will let you know more about that when we get there. This is his only DS9 episode.
2: Cash or card? By the end of this show, we're going to try to figure both of those out.
0: Prologue. Ah, uh, dinner at the Cisco's again. And it's a real downer. Everyone is preoccupied with the impending danger of the Dominion to the point that they can't enjoy each other's company. When the uh, party splits up, Jake and Nog find themselves at Quark's bar, still talking about how everyone seems depressed, even Captain Sisko. And when you're the captain, who's there to lift your morale when you need it? Quark happens by with an invitation for the boys to come to his auction tomorrow. He's helping get rid of a bunch of stuff the Bajorans found on an old freighter, It's just a bunch of junk, but something catches Jake's eye that might really cheer up his dad. A 1951 Willie Mays rookie baseball card. Act 1. The only problem in Jake's way is that he literally has no money with which to participate in the auction. He'll need to borrow some from his friend Nog, who, like a good Ferengi, has stashed away some latinum for a rainy day. It wasn't easy to convince him, but Jake did remind Nog that Ben Sisko is the one who got him into the academy, so it's the least he can do. Speaking of the captain, he's got a special visitor. Oh, hello, kai She She surprised Sisko that she's on board at the invitation of a Dominion representative to discuss something about Bejor. She's not sure what, but Sisko does give her a heads up that the Dominion are wily and that he'll do whatever he can to protect Bajor. In Quark's Bar, the auction is underway, and finally the lot containing that baseball card and many more items comes up. The bidding is fierce. Every time Jake thinks he's ahead, some mysterious stranger in the crowd outbids him. The action is too rich for Jake's blood, and the mystery man walks away the winner at ten bars of latinum. Act 2. Jake is despondent, but not ready to give up just yet. He tells Nog that it's important to him to cheer up his dad, and this card is the way to do it. They've got to come up with a way to get it. They confront the winning bidder, just hoping to have a talk about getting the card, but he's kind of a weirdo, thinking they're part of the soulless minions of orthodoxy. He flat out refuses them and escapes via turbolift. About this time, the Dominion representative has arrived on DS9, Oh, hello, wei Sisko has zero patience for the smarmy Vorta, but wei says he'll be seeing a lot more of him after his conversation with kai Wyn. Nog has good news for Jake, though. He heard from the auction winner, and they've been invited to make a deal. So, arriving at his quarters, they meet Dr. Elias Geiger, a man who's a bit work-obsessed, not much for social graces, And has an offer for these two. A list of hard-to-find items that he will accept in exchange for the baseball card. It's a mishmash of medical supplies, odd equipment. So what does he want with it? Well, wind him up and let him go. It's monologue time. Dr. Geiger explains that he's been researching the very nature of death. His theory is that cells get bored over time. They need excitement in order to keep doing their job of dividing, thus keeping the body alive. He's even got a device, the Cellular Regeneration and Entertainment Chamber, designed to, you know, entertain your cells into not giving up and dying. So, Dr. Immortal may well have a loose screw, but Jake is adamant about getting that baseball card. He convinces Nog to go along with it. And they set out to fulfill Geiger's needs. Act 3. First stop, Chief O'Brien. Jake and Nog need a piece of obscure Cardassian equipment, and the Chief can't be bothered. Nog tries to give Jake a little advice, though, giving the Chief some incentive to help them out. What if they did some work for him, free up some time so he can go play in the Hollow Suite? Maybe then he'd feel more inclined to get them what they need. Okay, it works. One down, a few more to go. Next stop, the infirmary. One item on the list is anaerobic metabolites in a hydrosaline solution, and that's definitely Dr. Bashir's department. He sounds about as enthusiastic as the chief was, so Jake tries a little of what he learned from Nog. It's not working. So Nog steps in to try to find what would persuade him. One word, Kukalaka, his teddy bear. Lita has it and he'd really like it back. Cut to what any reasonably motivated person would do as Nog slips into Lita's quarters late at night and steals the plush toy right out of her arms. In other news, Kai Wen reveals that Wayuna is proposing a non-aggression pact with Bajor. You don't need to skip to the fine print to see where it's a lose-lose proposition. If the Bajorans say yes, they are signing up to be conquered by the Dominion. If they say no, they will likely be attacked while Starfleet is committed to protecting the worlds of the Federation. Sisko's advice? Stall. Buy some time. He doesn't know what to do yet either, but they're not just yet at a crisis point. She'll have to trust him. Kaiwin grabs his ear. It's a Bajoran thing. Jake brings the first load of gear to Geiger... And when he fires up one of his machines, a strong whirring noise pulses from a computer bank. It's so loud it gains the attention of his upstairs neighbors, Weyoun and a couple of Hadar. Speaking of noise, Nog is listening to Klingon opera, one of his tasks assigned by Worf, while Jake is trying to rewrite a speech for Major Kira, his next task. These two are fed up with each other and the work that they've taken on, but it pays off. They have the last of the stuff Dr. Geiger needs at last and make way to his quarters to finish the deal. When they arrive, though, there's no sign of the regeneration equipment and no sign at all of Dr. Geiger. Act 4. Odo is stumped. He knows nothing about Geiger or his supposed regeneration device, but he scares the boys a bit with talk of trespassing charges. On the way out of the constable's office, Jake and Nog spot Kai Wen talking to a Vedek, who was also at the auction and participated in the bidding on the same lot. Then, this is where Jake goes full conspiratorial, thinking that Kai Wen must have wanted what was in the auction, and when her vedic failed, she must have colluded to get rid of Geiger. They have to confront her. Before that can happen, the Kai sees off Wei Yun, telling him that she can't reveal anything about her recommendations of the First Minister, but when Wei Yun turns on the fake charm, she reminds him that they are nothing alike. Now it's Jake and Nog's turn to confront Kai Wen, and it does not go well. Captain Sisko is livid when he hears that they imply that the Kai cleared out Geiger's equipment and kidnapped him to boot, Jake, still trying to cover for his true motives, makes up a story that he and Nog were in quarks and had too much to drink. Of course, this just makes Sisko angrier, and he confines the two to quarters. Before they can get there, though, Jake and Nog find themselves beamed over to the Jem'Hadar warship in the company of an armed Jem'Hadar soldier. Act 5. In walks Wayun to interrogate Jake and Nog. For once, Jake tells the truth about trying to get a baseball card for his father. But Weyoun isn't buying it. Too many coincidences, like these boys meeting with virtually the entire senior staff, even talking to Kai Wynn and Dr. Geiger's experiments, whatever they are, directly below Weyoun's quarters on the station. They're in on something. He's just not sure what. Then in comes Dr. Geiger holding a collection of gear that he won from the auction, and Jake weaves a tale. He and Nog are working for Starfleet Intelligence, tracking down the mystery of this Willie Mays who suddenly appeared in Starfleet Records and may be a time traveler from the future. And Weyoun buys it. He buys the first story, that is, about Jake and Nog just trying to get something for Captain Sisko. They can go. And they can take the baseball card with them. But what about Dr. Geiger? Wayun is intrigued with the concept of immortality and wants to talk. A couple of days ago, the mood on DS9 was depressing. Today, the chief is kayaking, Bashir is sleeping with his teddy bear, Kira gives a speech, and Worf listens to opera. And Captain Sisko has a very old baseball card in his collection. For a moment, there's reason to enjoy life. The End. First of all, well done, John. Well done. Thank you. On the recap. Appreciate
1: it. I know that wasn't easy. I know that wasn't easy. You know, and I know that you are always uh, staring at your auctions on the side yeah. when you're doing your recaps. Absolutely. Make sure that you didn't lose out on, I don't know, something that you're going to bid on, but we never really see. <laughs> so let's get into this.
0: Um Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I have a, a big question. Right at the beginning, uh, Cisco says to the chief, uh, tell us about Kiryoshi. Is he walking yet? I, I, I'm sorry. Remind me who that was again. Oh. Um, you know what time it is? It's time to spin the wheel <laughs> of excuses. Where is Keiko this week? <laughs> yeah. And the baby. nice to hear that. Yeah. yeah, we 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 tend to but forget like that there is a Keiko somewhere, but there is also a baby who seems to be entrusted to Chief O'Brien, but we rarely ever <laughs> see them
1: together. I yeah. know. Except for that one episode where they made a point of that mm-hmm. and then not doing anything really yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, I know that I know that there's a lot of of stuff happening with Dominion and the Jem Hadar. Mm-hmm. And the founders. But it's the first time, though. I think the the opening scene when they were all at dinner and they were all very kind of like, um, you know, very depressed Mm -hmm. and stressed that I I really felt like there was like a war coming Mm. or a war brewing Mm -hmm. or something very dire. And especially with with Kira and Julian, they were kind of snapping at each other a little bit. It just felt like, okay, I'm feeling it now. I'm really kind of feeling like there's something big happening, and,
0: and I think because that's a very un Star Trek thing, where where the, this mood, the, this pessimism, has just hung over everybody. Like that, that's not really a thing that we've ever gotten. I don't think in Star Trek. I mean, th- there are moody episodes. You know, you think about. Um, I mean, gosh, you can go back to uh, uh, go, go back to the Romulans in TOS. And yes, the, there are moody things happening, but there are also elements of levity as well. But the, we, we've never had really a scene of like the TOS crew sitting around at the conference room table just like, oh, this is terrible. We're never going to get out of this.
1: Was Worf staring at the corner the entire time or what was going
0: on? There? I wondered. It seemed like he was right. It was like very Blair Witch. Yeah, because they you know, only like just all cut all of over to him. Yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. it's been a long dinner for him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that they had to write Michael Dorn kind of out of it so sure. that he could direct
0: and all that, but he kind of directed himself right into a corner, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now they were at dinner, so on the table, I mean, not much. You know, you had the remnants of a salad, uh, some rolls. Maybe I wondered if those were desserts on Bashir's plate uh, because, you know, it was after the meal and it kind of, I mean, to me, just, just filling in the blanks, maybe some marshmallows, maybe some chocolate, maybe it's s'mores night on DS nine. That could, that could be a <laughs> thing that captain Cisco was trying out with the crew. We didn't see Dax around that table. Did we? Well, I, I didn't No, no, I, I, yeah, no, no I thought she was there. I thought she was there just for a moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just don't remember. Yeah.
1: I was too busy, like, wondering, like, why Worf was staring at a corner. <laughs> right. Um, but it was, I also thought it was interesting that, so Jake invites Nog over for dinner, but they end up being, like, Captain Sisko's wait staff. And I understand Nog. He's a cadet. Yeah. He has to wait on officers. I get that. Sure. Jake's, on the other hand, is a little bit different. But when they went to Quarks, you know, Nog says, everyone's so scared. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's, like, kind of, like, holding their breath. Right when he says Uh that, right in the background, center of the screen, there's a guy that walks away from a table with not a care in the world. He's like, oh, this is the greatest day ever. That guy's smiling. That guy's drunk. uh, He must be. He must be. It was just... It was the timing of the scene. The expression on his face was just perfect. Like, we're all going to die. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm good. I love it. <laughs>
0: um, oh, I, they, oh, they, such a good line. We, we're going to talk a bit about uh, Kai Win in this episode, but I, I love yeah. how, uh, you, you, oh, the Dominion is known for its political intrigue. I have some experience in that area. <laughs>
2: she, yeah. she sure
0: does. I love it. Yeah. I love it.
1: I laughed. Because... Yes. Her delivery, well, obviously, you know, we're dealing with a powerhouse actor with Louise Fletcher. Yes, right,
0: absolutely. But
1: her delivery there was almost kind of like a tongue-in-cheek line to the to the fans. You're like, you know, what I'm all about mm-hmm. when I say that, right? Mm-hmm. There's no pretense there. Yep. Um, all right, so I'm just going to mention this as an observation because I'm going to go way into it later okay. on. But the whole this is can of worms time because I, I am I am preempting the audience before I get into it. Jake's seen about needing money to buy the card. I'm just gonna say we're gonna get into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think there's a lot to uh, to chew on there for sure. So yeah. I, I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh but hey, if you got money, um let me just say velvet painting. Uh, that I would definitely hang on my wall with the the Matador scene there, and so intrigued to learn that that becomes the inspiration for the Mars Colony flag. I want to be the people who started that Mars Colony and said that is our flag. I love hearing the trailing off dialogue yes. in scenes because yes. you're like, is
1: anyone paying attention? Obviously, we we're because the whole yeah Mars Colony mm-hmm. flag thing was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. How does Morn bid? Does he just
0: do it? Feel like with a you no? Know? Clearly, he he yells. He must scream at the top of his lungs, just like he did last week, uh, saying that they're all doomed.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. yeah. That's and right. if he really needs it's to get their attention,
0: the clothes come off, and he's just running around screaming that he's bidding on an item. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that he got his painting. I wonder if it's like a
1: black light painting. You know, like Spencer Gifts, you would go back and find, you know, that row of posters back in the black light section. <laughs> I wonder if he has that whole setup. He, I, can I, I would think so. I, I would be disappointed yeah. if the answer was no. So, a little strategy about auctions. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, you you raise things so that you don't overpay. Mm-hmm. You just try and slightly outbid your opponent. Yeah. So, when you jump from four bars of gold-pressed latinum, right to Ooh, ten. you're giving it away. Yeah, you might be overplaying your hand just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit yeah you know yeah. that's like on ebay like minimum bid five i'm gonna bid 500 yeah. as my ceiling but, but it's just a pin, yeah right? it's not
0: worth it yeah well to me it is um yeah, to me it uh, is. by the way uh, uh when we meet because that's when we meet dr geiger and he has this uh, some really interesting dialogue in this episode i haven't broken any laws except perhaps the laws of nature i cannot wait mm-hmm. to use this line mm-hmm. in my real life someday <laughs> I don't know when that will come. I don't know what the context will be, but I'm just gonna file that one away, all right? Is
1: it gonna come with like a really arched eyebrow? It just seems to me that it needs like a like that kind of like Ted Knight type of delivery, like mm-hmm. Laws of Nature. It has to. It absolutely has yeah. to. So with the jumping from four to ten and like really like sealing that auction, mm-hmm. did did I miss something? Because I'm pretty sure like I reviewed this. Uh, you know, with enough detail to see that he didn't really pull anything out of the chest in his lab. Yeah,
0: it, it seems like the only thing in there that would be any value is the 23rd century translator, or uh, whatever that piece of equipment was. And it has to be something that right. went inside one of those other components because that was relatively small right. and nothing else in there would really be of any value. Yeah. Right, that, that was the only piece of tech
1: in that chest yeah. but you don't kind of see him take it out of the chest right. or put it into a component and turn something on like he did with like the some of the stuff that Jake and Nog brought right. him. Exactly. So I was just like, wow, Like, did we miss something? Did something get
0: cut? It was yeah. weird. Yeah, that was a little strange. Um, oh, by the way, also uh, cellular ennui, another great phrase and great band name if somebody needs that. Would it be in the Anya type of font package or
1: kind of like a metal kind of
0: ooh, font? Package, John, ooh, sure. yeah. No, I, it, it might be like an Anya thing, I think. That would yeah. probably be good. Yeah, or, or Portisette if you want to bring that a little, you know, it, it, it would work for any of those. Yeah. How very nice of you, John. Yeah, you're yeah, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Very good. Very good. <laughs> so I almost bought the whole thing with like the, the cellular regeneration chamber. I thought it was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Right up until he said entertainment part of the name like the cellular Mm -hmm. regeneration and entertainment Mm -hmm. chamber so it's kind of like yeah i dig it this is kind of like going into like a vr machine right right it's it's cellular regeneration but let's let's kick it with a little bit of like you know i don't know i'll watch some you know oldies yeah it's like on me tv in this chamber and make all my cells happy. for
0: some people maybe that's all you need to keep those cells happy yeah um for jake jake says i'm not crazy i'm just a little obsessed i so know that feeling jake i know I feel you there and dr geiger says shaking hands can kill you welcome to the early 21st century dr geiger <laughs> that is uh, yeah. that is so real oh these writers in the 90s were so prescient
1: yeah i got kind of uh, put on my heels with that i'm like wow that's kind of timely mm-hmm. right now right All right i'm sorry i know that i get into these like these weird logic loops but if Geiger needs Jake and Nog to find specialized equipment, how did he get the equipment to make all the stuff in his chamber in in his quarters, I mean, in the first place?
0: Right. Like, where did all of that stuff come yeah, from? Yeah, because you would think that, uh, particularly with Odo doing his job, somebody shows up, there's a manifest, all this equipment gets checked in. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? right?
1: I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, it's just a a strange thing.
0: Did you notice that uh, the chief has this line about how Decker got sick so he couldn't uh, do his job there that the chief is doing? And I wonder, is is he related to a certain officer who was presumed lost about 100 years ago when uh, he merged with an alien artificial intelligence? Is that, you know, maybe in the family? I heard that there was a snippet of a conversation
1: between Decker and Chief, and the Chief says, "I'm sorry," and Decker says, "No, you're not. Not about a damn thing." So, <laughs> just you know, it, that's that's genetic. Yeah. <laughs> that just, yeah, it was just yeah, it's just very you know, it's a natural response. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now, funny thing about that scene is that uh, at the beginning, Chief O'Brien didn't want to help out Jake and Nog, but then at the end, apparently, all he has to do is have that Cardassian power coil sent up to their quarters. Like, like, literally, the guy couldn't just be bothered to call the front desk the first time around. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Like, hey, can we have this thing? No, 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 it's too hard. Like, oh, sure, I'll just have it set up. Like, I, what? Come on, are you angling for a tip here? Is that it? Yeah. Well, he was so stoked. I mean, he was
1: like, "In the go kayaking.
0: now we can yeah, get that stuff right. get to them." <laughs> so,
1: um five liters of anaerobic metabolites suspended in hydrosaline solution. Mm-hmm. Very hard to say. Mm-hmm even probably even uh just as difficult to to procure right so how exactly do you uh you know uh, account for its loss in your logs when you have to declare your inventory every so often
0: right that's yeah that's a good question you know? yeah so uh but i mean you know it's it's for the teddy bears so. right <laughs> yeah Exactly. Okay. And look, speaking of the teddy bear, um, I'm sorry. Uh, So Nog and Jake, uh, they need to go to Odo's brig, I'm going to say, because breaking into Lita's quarters while she's sleeping is patently wrong.
1: It's a little creepy. It is very creepy. It's a lot creepy. It, yeah. yeah it, if Odo needs
0: creepy. to throw anybody in the brig for anything, it's that. And, and if there needs to be a stern talking to from the captain, it needs to be about that. We'll move on to more fun things like, say, hey, uh, mentioning again Nog's very precise hearing, listening to Klingon opera at 82 decibels. Uh, we we kind of teased that before with his ability to tell the difference between 65 versus 70 decibels when he was in the bar. That was kind of cool. I mean, he could have done it in the Holosuites, right? He could have done it practically anywhere else. He could have had headphones. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure those exist in the future, too. Ferengi headphones. It would be massive. What do those look like? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Giant cinnamon rolls
1: like they did in Spaceballs, you know, or something. But, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Yes. (laughs) We should, oh, somebody should do that as an illustration. Get on it, people. Let's see some Ferengi headphones. I love it. How exactly is Odo so baffled by the fact that Jake and Nog are telling him about Geiger. Remember, we're Mm -hmm. talking about the equipment earlier, just, you know, a couple of uh, tidbits ago. So there's nothing on the station that gets past Odo, nothing. He prides himself on that. But then he has this chamber that is being rented out by a person that's not in his log, the manifest of the equipment that's in the chamber, and he doesn't know
0: anything about it. Seems odd for Odo. Very odd for Odo. Yeah, that that's some yeah. slippery stuff. Yeah, uh, it, it's yeah. just out of out of character. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, lions, geigers, bears. Um, oh my! Oh my! <laughs> they they really went there because Ron Moore just couldn't resist. Uh, I I, I yeah. feel like if they did that all the time. That would be bad, but okay. They probably, they read it, and probably everybody else in the writer's room and Ira probably said, ooh, ooh, you really, you're going to go there? Okay, all right, we'll give you this one. You can have it. There you go. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, and I I loved uh, Kai Wen grabbing Wei Yun's ear in that little moment. I I wondered if she kind of gave it away in that moment, though, because he's angling to find out what it is that she's going to recommend to the First Minister, But she really slams him down pretty hard. He has to then think, like, this is not going to go well for us. And one last question that I think was not resolved in this. What is the drinking age in the 24th century? For real booze? I'm not sure. For synthahol? Pretty much anybody, right? I I guess so. Uh, I didn't think that Quark served uh, synthahol. But it, the fact that it would be a thing that Jake and Nog could do, theoretically, they didn't, they were lying, but it it just sounds like a thing that they could do, which is to go into quarks and have too much to drink, that gives me a little bit of pause. And just think, when Jake said that, he's kind
1: of tanking his best friend's career in front of the yes. guy who got him into Starfleet.
0: I mean, that, that baseball card better do wonders.
2: Jake and Nog. Drinking? Sounds like a very special episode of Deep Space Nine is waiting to happen.
1: The band's taking a break, and we'll get back to Cellular Ennui in a moment. But first, a word from Raycon. Now, you know, John, every new year, all you hear is this new year, new me, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to stop eating, I'm going to make better choices. Here's a good choice that you can make. And here's a better habit that you can make. And if you take up a hobby, say running, jogging, things of that nature, what you want is amazing audio that makes your new year experience even better. And that's why you and I recommend wireless earbuds from Raycon.
0: You know, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day where I was saying, wow, it's fortunately the days are starting to get a little bit longer, not by a lot, but a little bit. And I think I really need to get back out there and walk again and just get in some exercise. And that's the perfect time for me to put in those Raycon earbuds, those everyday ones that I love because they are my everyday earbuds. Um, And there's sort of no end to the list of things you can do because you sort of forget that they're there. Uh, maybe you're following directions in the kitchen. Maybe you're uh, listening to an audiobook while you learn to do something new like netting or you're working out or you're taking on a new hobby. All those things are easier and more fun when you've got those Raycon earbuds in. Um, they make great sound accessible to everyone. Those wireless earbuds start at half the price of other premium audio brands. And um, look, if you think you're worried about having those little, you know, white stems or a cord dangling out of your ears looking weird, don't have to worry about it. These are tiny. They come in stylish colors. They are always comfortable with a more discreet look. And um, Norman, I think you'll agree with me. They don't just look great. They sound great, too. Up to six mm-hmm. hours of playtime, water and sweat-resistant construction, the Bluetooth pairs easily. I, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I, I sort of get that little rush whenever I press the button and I hear the chime, the, the Raycon chime off of my ears, right? It's, it's excellent. So, look, you've heard us say it before. Uh, if you still don't have a pair of Raycons of your own, uh, why? just uh, Just go get some because we're giving you 15% off. You know,
1: John, you and I are both fans of Saturday Night Live, and I loved how you phrased that. It, you know, it's it's also important to look good as it is to feel good, to coin <laughs> one Fernando from Fernando's hideaway. You, you look marvelous. <laughs> you, you look marvelous. And your Raycons, you look marvelous. So Raycon's offering 15% off their products for our listeners, and here's what you got to do to get it. Go to com slash mission log. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, so feel free and grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com missionlog mission log, buyraycon.com slash
0: mission log. Oh, man, Kaiwen. I-, I tell you, every time, every <sighs> time, the-, the hair on my neck just stands up. Wendy, Even just hearing that she's coming. To, to visit. I'm like, ooh, 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 my skin's gonna crawl a little bit. Yeah. You know? Um and it's interesting though, this this is a real turning point, I think, for Kai Wen. Um at, at least in the way that she is portrayed on the show. And I I love that scene where she's pushing Cisco, not not in a way to corner him, but in a way to make him be honest. So I liked that sort of bit of bargaining there with him. Like, are you going to promise us this? Are you going to? And then her reply to that was excellent, which was, I wouldn't have believed you if you had said yes. I thought that was a strong piece of writing, and it was a strong character moment for her. She's the master of the leading question. Oh, God, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, a really strong scene. And I also liked... Cisco's decision to tell her to stall in admitting that he doesn't know what's coming next. um, I thought that was a strong moment for him because it, it, it would have rung false if he had just sort of started making assumptions about what was happening or how this could or would play out. I like the honesty in him just saying, I don't know, but the only thing we can do is just get some time here. And she goes right for that ear grab, which is a lot of fun. The reaction on his face is wonderful. But uh, let's talk just for a second about how the Dominion uh, wants that non-aggression pact with the Bajorans. I I can't think of—it just doesn't sound like anything could possibly go wrong there. Oh, wait, I I have this Mm -hmm. book here on my desk about Operation Barbarossa. Uh, Strange that 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 would be here as we see this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, always good to know a little historical precedent there when a uh, strongly armed force shows up at your front door and says— Let's have a non-aggression pact.
1: You know, I like um, this entire scene, this sequence with Kai Wynn because, well, again, she knows how to she knows the answers for her leading questions. Mm-hmm. But two, because they do reference the episode where Cisco essentially sabotages, or, or sabotages, mm-hmm. you if you that? will, yeah. how are you going to pronounce it, um, sabotages the the uh, the yeah. accord that's going to bring the Bajorans into the right. Federation. Yeah, that was really cool, and. Yeah, and she's like, well, emissary, because we believe in you, we believe in what you told us, and Bajor must stand alone. So we're standing alone, and now the Dominion are at our, you know, they're at our doorstep. So what do we do, emissary? And I found it interesting that she would go so far to be so presumptuous as to approach the emissary with such an intimate act. Of the paw yeah. touch, of the paw touch to his yeah. lobe, um, it, it almost felt like she needed to do that to still be like, you know what, I'm still the one who's in charge here. Yeah, there right? is
0: something a bit aggressive about it for sure uh, when she does it. Yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, it gives her a little bit of uh, uh, of an upper hand almost, but it's also reassuring to her. Though, which is what's so interesting yeah. about it, and that's that's what's so interesting about the way she's written specifically for this episode, and by design to sort of break her out of this two dimensional mold as just the manipulative uh, political villain here. They're they're playing a bit with our feelings for her. Um, she's being reasonable with Cisco, and she lays a smackdown with Wayun which is what we want to see. We know where our allegiance is here to the characters in the show, so it's nice to get some redeeming quality out of her. And I really like her admission that the prophets have told her nothing and that the Orb of Wisdom didn't help her either, because finally, for once, she can't use those things as a crutch or just a convenient excuse to do what she's going to do anyway. Now, is it me,
1: or is it because Kai Wen's reputation precedes her, and obviously the way that we feel about her showing up on the station means that it does, but do you believe
0: anything that she says as being true? I usually don't, Um, but I think this is the one time, this is the one scene where nobody's got any answers. You know, she's there trying to find out something from Sisko, trying to get some counsel from him. Still respecting him as the emissary, even if she thinks she has the political upper hand. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like she honestly doesn't know what to do with the Dominion, because, sure, uh being protected sounds good. Not being attacked sounds good. But... Mm-hmm if that means actually being conquered, then uh, that is a, a deal that she can't take for, for the people of Bajor. So I I think there was a level of honesty there that we haven't seen between them. And I think if there was something underhanded here, we probably would have had, we probably would have had a different kind of conversation. It would have been the kind of conversation where she would be asking Sisko for his opinion, looking for a weakness there, and then exploiting that with Wei Yun, or exploiting that with whomever the next person is that that she's got to manipulate. So, I, I buy it. Now, look, I might turn out to be completely wrong, um, but I actually will accept that scene and her participation in it for for what they're trying to tell us. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's almost kind of like they they have her in a position of playing both sides against the middle. Yeah. Uh, In a way, and that I know that I try and find similarities in the A and B plots, but there is something to that effect with the way that Jake and Nog are being played against all of the other all of his all of the other, uh, I guess, officers on Deep Space Nine to get Geiger what he wants. Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, Geiger, you know, he he's keeping his hands clean. Of all of these machinations, the same way that I guess Kai wins, kind of keeping her hands clean of all of the machinations that she's put into play. Because the way I saw it was, she is manipulating the emissary in one way, trying to see if Cisco or Starfleet is going to commit to their mm-hmm. cause. And he can't. He has a non-committal response. So she's like, "Well, what is the Dominion going to do in response?" Yeah. Without ever, without ever actually putting her response in play, yeah. so you just have all of these people kind of having each other run them around in circles, so that you can't really get a definite answer from. Yeah, anybody, I, I mean, the only right? power
0: that she has is the non-answer. Right now. I mean, that that is literally the only power that she's got in any of this. So Mm -hmm. interesting to just see it sort of on hold there and waiting for somebody else to make the first move, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really seem like what we've gotten out of Kai Wen before. But I think the stakes here are beyond anything that she had conceived before. Like, yeah, they've already been through an uh, occupation by an outside hostile force. This is a different scale. Or maybe yeah. maybe she feels like, I, look, we've done it before. Maybe we can go through it again. I mean, there might be that sort of right. conciliatory, just sort of, uh, uh, you know, th- this resignation that this is something that has happened in our very recent history. Maybe we can stomach it. Yeah, true enough, true enough. So yeah. let's go on to that our uh, our A-plot here about Jake and Nog and the mad scientist and the baseball card. <laughs> Which Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I wondered, you know, at first, like, could, are we going this route again where there's, like, the age-old morality tale about not pursuing immortality or about science run amok because that definitely has been a theme in star trek before and very often star trek takes a uh, a questionable approach to that like we we don't really trust anybody who says that they've come up with uh, uh with these sort of scientific breakthroughs immortality is not a thing that you should want and in the pursuit of it you will probably not only fail, you will do something horribly wrong in the process. Like, oh, I don't know, the the virus on the Earth-like planet in Miri. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that that's one of those yeah. cautionary tales. And then I thought, you know, maybe we're going to do something here about getting into business with the wrong people that greed will lead you to ruin. Um, and if it, you know, if something sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. But I feel like we didn't, really go down those routes that much. We just sort of dangled that idea for a moment and then we just got into the the action of you know just the plot the, the process of the plot going to get things to deliver to this guy to presumably get this card uh, but but an age old thing in Star Trek came up and that is money mm-hmm. am I right? <laughs> That one stopped me in okay. my tracks,
1: John. I'll be honest. I'll be honest, and it stops me in my tracks so early in the episode because it's literally like the scene right after they leave the bar and they talk about how much money do you have, right. Nog? And I get, I get that Nog has money. You know, he's sure. a Ferengi. He has his, you know, he has his uh, his savings in his bed, whatever he stuffs, he stuffs his mattress with. I'm sure it's uncomfortable if it's which. Metal. By, by the way, right? I,
0: uh, for for Aaron Eisenberg, just quick aside here, perfectly mm-hmm. played moment. When Quark is saying to Nog, like, oh, you don't have it under your bed, do you? He goes, No. And he just kind of takes a glance off to the side to see if anybody's listening. Yeah. Ah, I just I love yeah. the timing of that. I love that edit. Perfect.
1: Well, he's so yes. on point. He I mean he both he so and good. are so on yeah. point. But in the scene where they're exchanging this uh this dialogue about money, uh, you know, Nog says it's my money, Jake. If you want to bid at the auction, use your own money. And Jake says, "I'm human. I don't have any money." And this is where I really <laughs> just had my ears kind of perked up. These were the records scratched off. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I wanted to hear this particular explanation because I've never heard yeah. this before. But I know that currency in Star Trek is a thing. You know, we talk about it being a post-scarcity economic right. society, uh, a little bit more on the lines of socialism, and obviously not yeah. capitalist. But Nog says, it's not my fault that your species decided to abandon currency based economics in favor of some philosophy of self enhancement. But then Jake takes the high yep. road and a little bit of offense. And when he responds and he says, hey, watch it. There's nothing wrong with our philosophy. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. Now, that we're talking about right here in an encapsulated version of what Star Trek. It's supposed to be the Gene Roddenberry vision. Uh, Directly quoted Picard. Right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then I love how Aaron the 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 direction in this is just his face just becomes so deadpan. Right? And he just looks
0: at Jake and he says,
1: What does that mean exactly?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what everybody was asking themselves watching Picard say it years before.
1: Right. Yeah. And then, you know, Jake says it means we don't need money. And then Nog, he's like, well, if you don't need money, you certainly don't need mine. (laughs) So where is this? When I was watching this episode, what I found frustrating about this scene, and it it, uh, kind of cascades into the rest of the episode, is this. If Jake wants this card so Mm -hmm. badly, then he has to abide by the rules of the game, of which he is not he is not prepared yeah. for he's not prepared to go to the lengths of of this and if he wants it so badly that means that somewhere along the line he understands the economics of money right, right. but he takes that high road with jake saying that i mean with nog saying that we're better than that we're about self-enlightenment but you're not <laughs> though
0: Because there's a thing that you want, and that thing that you want has a value that then you need to be able to make a deal with the owner of that thing. I mean, how do you – it's not just about participating in the auction. It's about how do you participate with anybody on any scale who then needs a valuable thing in return? Like, we go back to Encounter at Farpoint on TNG – and there's Dr. Crusher mm-hmm. looking at fabric saying, yeah, bill it to my room. And my thought is like, uh, okay, well, we're trying to figure out how to do that. Oh, look, the enterprise just took off. <laughs> we, we we don't know uh, how that uh, works because it's all made yeah, up. Anyway. The, the last four
1: digits, yeah, of your card and um, your expiration <laughs> right. date and your security right. code. Uh, Whoosh.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, like there is the high-minded philosophy The problem is you have to get everybody around you then to buy in on that high-minded philosophy because at some point, somebody will come along who needs something other than that. And Mm -hmm. Starfleet has put themselves in a very interesting position by having this presence on this station that is not a Starfleet facility and presumably plenty of other places in the galaxy that aren't as well that Starfleet and or the Federation needs to do some kind of quote unquote business with. How do you do that? Sure, we can replicate things that have value that might be an interesting trade. Um mm-hmm. but at some point somebody's going to want some Latinum. Yeah. Right.
1: People like hard currency. Mm-hmm. I mean there are there are examples of this in Star Trek where we have taken this this understanding of the post scarcity economics to the nth degree or as you say we debate these things at infinitum but i have to agree with nog here mm-hmm. especially in the context of this episode because if jake truly believes and this is because jake really took umbrage with with how yeah. nog responded if he truly believes that humans strive to better themselves without money then where does the desire kick in so hard and so obsessively to buy the baseball card. Okay, so at this stage in the game, Jake is a very talented mm-hmm. writer, right? He could, and he's educated, he's very smart, and he obviously believes in the philosophy of the Federation, or he wouldn't have taken, you know, he wouldn't have been wounded by what Nog said mm-hmm. so much. So isn't there more an enlightened way of improving his dad's spirits aside from just trying to find a uh, a common way of buying something for something as common as money? I mean, I get yeah. it. I get it. Like, Jake says he doesn't want to disappoint yeah. his father. I get it. But why wouldn't he maybe tap into his writing and write something philosophical or spiritually enlightening for his father instead of jumping through all these hoops and these machinations for something that is just as common as anything else it's just it's just an object yeah and as far as he's concerned It really doesn't have or hold the understanding of the currency value of a society that doesn't believe in placing those kind of values on objects. I think that's
0: what's so interesting here in this scene is challenging his belief and his dedication to that philosophy. Because up until this moment, Jake didn't know that a 1951 Willie Mays baseball card was something that existed much less something that he would want and want that badly. And it wasn't just about, uh, obviously it's not just his desire to have it in his hands. It's about what it means to his father. It's about, you know, but he could have gone his whole life and not known that that was a thing that exists and therefore would drive him to the point of obsession <laughs> of needing to get it. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, what do you then do with that information? Okay. Could you go to a computer Look up the information about that card and then, I don't know, uh, uh, create a, a painting or a story or something based on Willie Mays's life. Or I'm just going to throw a crazy one out there. Maybe you could create like a hollow Sweet baseball game with the greats of, of the sport over the, the, the decades, the centuries. That's the thing you can actually go experience as opposed to just an Mm -hmm. object that you hold in your hand. I'm going to, I throw that one out there for free. They can have that and just uh, do a a holodeck story about a baseball team. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it would be the holodeck of dreams. Is that what we're talking about? Build it
0: and they'll, they'll materialize.
1: If you program it, they will (laughs) materialize. Is (laughs) that what we're talking
0: about? (laughs)
1: There is uh, a soft, I think, anti-capitalist message in what they've been doing with these two characters because there was up, up until basically the um, the the architecture was put in place after the feudal system was dismantled into the Enlightenment mm-hmm. system where the creation of currency, hard currency for the tradable goods basically uh, changed the way that people would interact with each other. And I think that there is something here that could be mined for for something that is as important as just being able to negotiate with people again. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's something that Jake never, he didn't really have that skill, but through Nog he was able to learn it. And I think that instead of doing something that's so easily purchasable by just the, the coldness of currency, you're actually exchanging value now for value for the interest of something else. You know, So like with the chief, what his, his personal time is worth everything right. to him. So what if we were able to do that for you or say, Julian, the nostalgic interest of the, of his bear brings him a little bit of peace in his day. That's something that's of value to him. It's worth more than money. And I think that it was really neat that they were like being able to get to these different aspects of people's lives where something that is so valuable to them is worth being able to talk about and barter as opposed to just say, oh, I'll buy that for you right i will just do something as exchange currency for goods so that you feel better no i'm gonna actually find the thing that makes you feel better and get that but but
0: let me ask you this though do you think that you know it, it is about the journey it is about jake's care for his father um and we see we see sort of the, the missteps of the obsession of like, well, I got to get the thing, therefore I have to get essentially money, but it's not going to be money in this case. It'll be the things of value in order to get this other thing of value. Um, we see that this is a problem. We see that this is, that Jake and Nog are not dealing with the best people here. But in the end, is that message undermined? Because the object has brought happiness. I mean, that
1: that is definitely one way of looking mm-hmm. at it. I mean, the if you're talking about in terms of like the ends does justifies the means, mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps. But at the same time, though, when you really kind of take a look at if they were successful, if Nog was able to scrape up enough gold-pressed platinum to buy it mm-hmm. at auction, then it's Nog giving him the gift. <laughs> right, right. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, Jake didn't really do anything aside from um, harangue Nog to loan him, say, 10 bars of gold pressed yeah. platinum. But it doesn't belong to Jake. <laughs> so, Jake didn't really do anything to get that gift for his father aside from bug his best friend into into just giving up because he's tired of being that that is
0: uh, boom you just summed it up jake's superpower is annoying his friend to the point of capitulation and handing over money that's the that's the economics of the future we figured out how the 24th century works
2: are yourselves excited yet if not just wait until norman and john work out this week's messages morals, and meanings.
1: There's something to be said about the title in the cards, because maybe Jake and Nog should have, I don't know, taken a nod from the gambler. They should have either, you know, known when to hold them or known when to fold them. And in this case, maybe a little bit of both, (laughs) but... That's just me talking. How J- did you
0: feel about it, John? Did you feel that they uh, yeah, they gambled the right way? Jake did not know when to walk away. Uh, Nog did not <laughs> know when to run. That's, uh, yeah, that's very true. Um, look, I think, uh, I, first of all, the funny thing to me is that I feel like Ron Moore was inspired by the ads in an in-flight magazine. Like the the whole thing with the cellular regeneration <laughs> and entertainment, you know, I swear that that has been in an in-flight magazine somewhere. Somehow you can dress up total nonsense in vaguely scientific sounding terms. And from that point, it's relatively easy to get people to believe in anything. So I thought that was, that just sort of spoke to me that it was, it was very funny yet somehow believable. Um, are you talking about the legendary Sky Mall magazines
1: that are in airplanes? <laughs> ding ding!
0: We're waiting for that endorsement deal. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, which I greatly enjoy taking pictures of the worst pseudoscience in Sky Mall and then posting that, and uh, you know, mm. just either pointing out or letting other people point out what's completely wrong with it. Uh, so that that was fun. That's a fun bit of business in this episode. Um, I did kind of wonder, you know, we'll, we'll get to the morals here in a moment. Um, but I, I, I do feel like, you know, the thing that I like is the building sense of doom in the beginning. Not because I like doom, but as we mentioned before, I like, I like the way they handled it. it. just felt real. There was something mm-hmm. that was serious uh, about this for all of them, emotionally uh, resonant for all of them. I, I like giving Jake and Dog something to do. I do feel like Geiger is just overridden, though. Uh, It it was a bit of a caricature. Again, I like the takedown of pseudoscience. This, I I know that they were trying specifically to make a B-plot into an A-plot, but I don't know if that was the best decision here. It felt like they needed to cut some of the fat from that if it was going to be the A-plot. I also... I feel a little weird when you do an episode with a voiceover that has to wrap everything up at the end, because to me, it almost says that you're covering for another problem somewhere in the script. So that, that doesn't always sit right with me. It's like, here, let me explain this. Even though we didn't really lay down the steps for it to be clear from the beginning. So I think that ending VO is a little, little out of place for me. Um, So, look, in the end, I feel like this episode only really holds up in the sense that we're just building to the next step of the Dominion storyline. But taken on its own, I I can't say that it does. It's a bit of throwaway, just here's some Jake and Nog business. So I can't really love this episode. I'm glad you brought up that point because
1: I wanted to ask you... Since we are at the second to last episode of season Mm -hmm. five and knowing that we were feeling kind of like that, the growing tension, that impending doom that's coming with the, uh, you know, the advent of the Dominion Mm -hmm. war. Where do you find this in terms of its placement in the season?
0: Yeah, it's, it, because it feels like a B plot, it feels like a B plot that should have been a season or two ago. With yeah. and, and especially with a younger Jake and Nog, you know, mm-hmm. where you can really get the sense that, okay, these are a couple of kids who are not really at home on this station, and they're just getting into trouble because that's what they do, but this Nog is the Nog who's been away at the Academy, and he's been... You know, serving under different commands, and he's been in the thick of it. He's been in the firefights. We've seen that. This just seems a little uh, almost juvenile for them. Yeah, and and it's not that it isn't fun. Like it's a fun idea, and there is definitely this sweetness to the idea of wanting to do something for somebody who who means something to you. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But is it? is this going to be memorable for what it is here in the series or just sort of like, you know, a footnote? Oh, hey, remember that fun time that they did this fun thing? And and really, that yeah. that's all I can chalk it up to.
1: Now, here's um, it's interesting because I just felt like I high-winded John for a second because I asked him a question, and I was hoping that he would answer it the way I wanted it to be, <laughs> be answered because I did lead him into... Something that, and the reason why I did this, John, the reason why I asked you that question for your answer is because, like I said, we've, um, John and I rarely read each other's Mm -hmm. notes when we're coming up with our discussion points because we want to see how how clear either the message is to both of us or how ambiguous we are about it. But in this case, John and I are very much on the same page because for me, when it comes to this episode, does it hold up or stand the test of time as we ask in this segment? Not for me. Not for me at all. Okay, I, I get when we get to the final analysis of the, of the reviews, I kind of feel like, you know, when you're on like a, a reality TV show, you always have that one judge, usually it's Paula Abdul, like, well, I love the way you look. Well, that doesn't really get into the critique, it doesn't really do anything in terms of how to, you know, to, to suggest how to improve st- things along mm-hmm. the way. But I kind of am at that point in this episode where I, I do want to talk about what was positive in an episode that I didn't care right, for. Right. And the one thing that really was the, the standout of this episode was the relationship between Nog and Jake or, or Sorak and Aaron because they are so good together. Mm. They're they're at that point where they're transcending their characters and they're almost finishing each other's sentences, they have that perfect kind of timing between them because they're friends. You know, they've, they've elevated that past the characters on the show. But I think that that's where the issue lies with an episode like this, because, like you said before, John, this would have been better served with younger Jake and younger Nog before they became these characters, before Nog became a cadet, because... He is now responsible for towing the Starfleet line of discipline. Yeah. And doing what he and Jake were doing, doing all of these zany things like sneaking into Lita's room through a Jeffries tube opening. Oh. How many... I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure that violates some kind of code of conduct in Starfleet. I'm I'm horrified.
0: (laughs) I'm just horrified
1: at that. Yeah. And Jake. Jake's smart. You know, he's resourceful. He's a writer. That means he knows how to... To research and find inspiration and elevate his thoughts to something more noble and more profound yeah. and not just have this obsession about finding this card and doing whatever he needs to do to pay yeah. for it. It seems uh, antithetical to who he is or to who they both are. So you can't, you know, you can't just jump down their throats for doing something noble. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's fun to see them go through those machinations, but I do believe that it would have been better served, you know, when they were a few years younger. Because do you really buy that a Starfleet cadet and kind of a a very talented writer playing at treasure hunt around a station? Is that believable? Yeah. You know,
0: it seems a little juvenile even for them. I agree. But, you know, if we get into morals, meanings, messages, like, is there something to take away from what is... uh, for all intents here, a, a pretty light episode. They were just giving this, giving us this nice little pleasant send-off. People are happy before we get into something really heavy. Um, I mean, again, I, I think there's something fun to be had with the whole pseudoscience mumbo-jumbo nonsense of Dr. Geiger uh, if you wanted to make something out of it. You could. It's one of those, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. I I did wonder, though, like, was there a moral at the end of this where everybody's happy except Lita <laughs> because she's literally had something stolen from her as she sleeps, and you see all these reaction shots like, there's the chief, he's going to go kayaking, and there's Kira yeah. getting applause, and there's Worf uh, taking in this beautiful uh, Klingon opera. But what do we get of Lita? She's just looking all over her room trying to find who stole the bear. <laughs> I mean, right? why, why are we doing this to her? Uh, okay. But maybe Weird. the message of avoiding cellular ennui. Look, that's, that's not a thing. But, yes, we do have to keep ourselves physically and, and mentally fit. Geiger is doing this completely half-cocked thing. But the DS Nine crew are doing their thing too. You know, they're look, they're finding their passions. They're they're not getting stuck in anxiety of worry about what might come. At least for that moment, you know. Um, even in the darkest moments, you can always find something to make you smile. That that was one of those lines in that uh, final wrap up. I like a little sentimentality every now and then. Um, people doing something for each other, or even for themselves. Just take a break. Stop what they're doing and enjoy a moment. Uh, Chief O'Brien, you know, for example, he works hard all the time. But why? Why does he work hard all the time? Presumably, it's so he can go to the hollow suite and shoot the rapids every now and then. But what value is that if he never does it? Because it seems like every time we catch him, he's just down there doing work and somebody has to remind him Go be yourself. Go enjoy the thing that you want to enjoy because otherwise doing all this work, there's no point in it. So Mm -hmm. if there's a bit of an actual serious message here, I I would like to think it's that. What about you?
1: I absolutely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And there is something uh, in terms of um, working for the weekend. Everybody's you know everybody's
0: working for the weekend
1: everybody needs a second chance (laughs) but there is something about being so fixated on what is so uh not important in one's life as opposed to what really truly is important in one's life and that's your ability to be able to turn everything off and actually enjoy your life Mm -hmm. right and I, i think that that's um I'll get to my thoughts in a moment, but I just think that's profound that you know we see something like that in these characters because it's so easy for them to just basically fall in line and get absorbed into that 26-hour work day. Mm-hmm. twenty-six hour workday. Twenty-six hours, I know, right? So, yeah, right. But I think my overall struggle with either finding the morals, meanings, and messages is because it's not as on the surface as say other episodes. But if there's one thing that I I guess I could say was notable or I could sink my teeth into. I actually did enjoy the montage at the hmm. end, John. I know that, that, that you, you, you critiqued mm-hmm. it earlier, but I, I like the message of, and, and maybe it's not the voiceover itself, mm-hmm. but I do like the message of each one of these characters, except for Lita, who was, <laughs> Poor Lita. I, I don't even come know on. how we can like, you know, yeah. <laughs> we could sidebar that until the cows yeah, come home. Yeah. But everyone's day was a little brighter because of what Jake and Nog did to acquire the baseball card. You know, they, they uh, made ex- exchanges and made promises and delivered on all of these different plans. And it was, you know, the byproducts are several of their friends or fellow crewmen. They got, you know, just a bit brighter of a day. And mm-hmm. it, even if they did so, it, um, you know, it, it, at the cost of, of uh, annoyance, annoying people, They were able to do what they did out of the spirit of doing good things Mm -hmm. instead of just paying for things, right? So I just, maybe it would have rang truer to me if they did what they did just out of the true spirit of self-enlightenment, like Jake was talking about, to stay true to the human federation way as opposed to being just a a slave to kind of like um, callous cash payments Mm -hmm. in that sense. But their efforts were good, and even though I thought they were maybe a little suspect because, again, if Nog never lent Jake the money, then Jake would have never gotten the card, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I guess in the end for me, uh, maybe sometimes you can't knock a good silver lining in the end in a feel-good ending. Ah.
0: All right. That is so nice.
1: Or a a
0: gold-pressed Latin Uh. lining. (laughs) Even better. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Call to Arms.
2: some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. If you can't afford an entire cellular excitement machine, turn to page 47 to order the cellular excitement glove. Oh, wait, no, that's the Infinity Gauntlet, don't buy that.